Welcome to the BizTimes MKE podcast and our weekly debrief. I'm Arthur Thomas, Managing Editor at BizTimes Media, and I'm joined on the weekly debrief, as always, by BizTimes Editor Andrew Weiland. Andrew, how are you doing? Good. We're crazy busy here, but it's, it's, a, fine, it's a fine fall day, so just enjoying, uh, enjoying all the things we get to do here. Enjoy them while they're around. I'm not going to talk about any white things flying through the air, but it's going to be November soon. So, and I think yeah. you know, Halloween a few years ago, we had there snow. That's not so, supposed to happen. Yeah, that's not supposed to happen. Well, we can wait. You know, we want a white Christmas, not a white Halloween. Let's dive in here to our insider story spotlight. That's a chance for us to highlight stories that were available only to BizTimes insiders over the past week or so. Uh, if you are already an insider, thank you very much. We really do appreciate that support. It helps make our work possible. If you're not an insider, please consider subscribing. Uh, insiders get benefits like access to all of our articles, discounted event admission, and other benefits. Just the equivalent of $9 a month gets you that. Please do consider it. Andrew, what is your insider story spotlight this week? Okay, so this week I'm highlighting a story we had about a report a uh, recent report from the State Legislative Reference Bureau uh, analyzing the proposed Kenosha Casino situation with the Menominee Tribe and Hard Rock International. <clears throat> of course, I think people will remember that Menominee and Hard Rock had proposed a casino years ago at the former Dairyland Park uh, Greyhound track in Kenosha. And that Proposal was rejected by the governor of Wisconsin, then Scott Walker, in 2015. When Walker did that, his just one of his main justifications was he said that the state's compact with the Potawatomi tribe, which of course has the casino, its casino in Milwaukee, uh, stipulated that a casino built within a 30 to 50 mile radius, um, which squarely puts Kenosha there. Um, would require the state to reimburse uh, the Potawatomi both for past payments that the Potawatomi had made to the state uh, and also for future future payments, uh, you know, basically assuming that the Potawatomi casino's revenues would go down as the result of a Kenosha casino, uh, the state would have to reimburse the Potawatomi for that loss. Basically, that's the, the deal. And uh, there was some dispute about that. But the bottom line is Walker said that the state was at risk of hundreds of millions of dollars. And so for that reason, he rejected the Kenosha Casino proposal at that time. Now we have this new report from the Legislative Reference Bureau looking at the situation. And there's a new proposal for a casino. Again, it's Menominee Tribe. Again, it's Hard Rock International. <clears throat> Still in Kenosha, but a different site in Kenosha and a smaller scaled-down pro- <clears throat> scale project. But uh, the LRB an- analyzed the situation and said <clears throat> that's a different, uh, we have a different deal now, that in 2018, there was an amendment made to the Potawatomi's compact with the state of Wisconsin. And that amendment changes and, and and scales back some of these requirements that the state would have, some of these obligations the state would have 
to the Potawatomi for allowing uh, another competing casino in the region. And so um, the the conclusion from LRB was that the state is at a much a significantly less risk uh, towards liability towards the Potawatomi now than it was in 2015. Um, it's uh, sort of a complicated uh, situation, but there's a there's a cap on what the state would have to pay the Potawatomi. The state would no longer have to pay the Potawatomi for re, would no longer have to reimburse the Potawatomi for past payments uh, to the tribe. Um, the Potawatomi wouldn't be allowed to withhold payments unless it could show there were actual losses uh, realized as the result of the Kenosha Casino. So all these changes, according to LRB puts the state at much less risk for approving a Kenosha casino financially. And so now, of course, you have the supporters of, you know, not just the Menominee, but political supporters as well of the Kenosha project touting this and saying this is a a strong reason that the Kenosha project should be approved. At some point, this may come before, assuming it gets federal approval again, this will come before the governor and we'll find out in November who that new governor will be, if it's Tony Evers or if it's Tim Michaels. And the governor will have to make a decision on this, as Scott Walker did. They haven't really said what they would do uh, on the campaign trails as far as the uh, the Kenosha Casino issue. Yeah, certainly a whole lot of updates there in terms of what this report um, kind of says about the the prospects for this and kind of answers to some extent one of the questions that was hanging out there over this project of like uh, you know here was this thing that was a part of the justification for rejecting it in 2015 okay the the bottom line is is the the circumstances are different now um, still a decision to be made uh, but different different criteria different facts involved so. We'll have to continue to watch, and obviously the election may have some some impact on on that in terms of at least who who will be making the decision if it comes to that. But right. uh, but if, it, if, if this issue comes up again, this is you know kind of ammunition to counteract that argument. So we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, my insider story spotlight this week: um, Northwestern Mutual <laughs> announced their annual um, dividend in this announcement they make. Kind of every year, um, every year they make it and, and their dividend continues to grow. The total amount, total payout um, from $5.3 billion in 2018 to now it's $6.8 billion. Um, so there's that bit of it. But in in covering it, I had a chance to talk with um, Jason Clawan, um, who is the chief actuary at Northwestern Mutual. Uh, which was just a really interesting conversation to talk to, um, you know, the guy that's behind, you know, responsible for a lot of the numbers at, at a, a big company like Northwestern Mutual and to talk to him about kind of the process of figuring out what the dividend, um, would be and, and what all goes into it and, and the challenges of trying to, you know, figure those things out in an uncertain economic environment and, all of those things. And it just really struck me as we we're talking, um, you know, Jason even said, you know, I'm, I'm usually pretty low key, but you know, I get excited about this stuff, which, you know, you, you would expect an actuary to get excited about, about <laughs> the numbers and the math. 
Um, but we also talked about, you know, it's kind of for, for him and his team, the point where um, the, you know, all the work they do really ends up translating to um, someone's life and someone's um, financial well-being and, and translates into that person's financial plan. Um, so it kind of takes it out of the spreadsheets and into the, the real world. So um, certainly something they are, um, they enjoy doing and, and working on. So uh, it was definitely an interesting story to put together. Northwestern Mutual, you know, it's a little like Old Faithful. <clears throat> Every year it, uh, it erupts and it announces record, uh, record <laughs> dividends and, 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 but, you know, we shouldn't take that for granted. It's a, it's a, it's a fantastic, iconic Milwaukee company and their, their strength and continued growth is something to be proud of and is a, is a great economic anchor for the, for the city and region. Certainly. Well, let's shift gears to our big story of the week. And that is news uh, from a couple of big local companies. Um, we'll start with Fiserv. Um, the currently Brookfield-based uh, financial technology firm, uh, which will not be Brookfield-based for much longer. They announced this week they're going to move their global headquarters um, into downtown Milwaukee. They will be in the Hub 640 building, which is the former Boston store, former Bonton headquarters area, uh, kind of attached to uh, what was the Grand Avenue Mall, is now known as the Avenue. Um so they're going to be moving, uh, I think it's eventually six, 700, about 800 jobs total, uh, will be down there. Uh, a $40 million investment in the facility is planned, um, 160,000 square feet. And Fiserv moving downtown has been a long running story. We've got coverage going back into 2017, um, about, you know, their considerations. And even before that, there was a, 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 provision in the Foxconn legislation that enabled the Foxconn incentives that enabled some incentives for Fiserv when they were, you know, maybe looking at reducing their headcount, but still staying in Milwaukee area. Um, so certainly, you know, a long running thing, big deal that they're choosing to move to the downtown area and to West town, which has seen a lot of growth and activity in recent years. The other big piece, the other big story is we've had over the last week or so um, news out of Harley-Davidson where their CEO, Jochen Zeitz, um, last week made news talking to Bloomberg saying the company would be repurposing their Milwaukee headquarters. And so everyone heard repurposing the headquarters and we all um, you know, started thinking of you know, Harley moving out of the city and, and things like that. Um, you kind of maybe walked back that walked away from that a little bit in in a linkedin post and also in the earnings this week talking about that they are you know committed to their roots in Milwaukee and they will be investing in the headquarters and the community but the reason that there's this kind of uncertainty is they're uh, like many companies increasingly using remote and hybrid um, work arrangements where people just aren't in the office as much as they were in the past. And that's somewhat the case with Fiserv too. They, they talked on their earnings call about being more um, remote and flexible and using hybrid options. And they kind of concentrate people around hubs um, and things like that. But you've got these two companies, both big names in Milwaukee business, 
um, with an evolving story around their their headquarters. So it's a lot of uh, a lot of change and a lot of um, interesting interesting news and interesting things to watch as that continues to unfold. Yeah, for sure. Um, boy, I mean, we're we're talking about two of the biggest companies in the area. Taking, you know, like you say, they're trying to adapt to so the post-COVID workplace landscape, but taking pretty different approaches. You know, on the one hand with Harley, okay, repurposing their headquarters, you know, an economic anchor of the west side of city of Milwaukee. What does that mean exactly? And I mean, they've they've had follow up statements since this first came out in a Bloomberg report with the CEO. There have been follow up statements about, well, we're still committed to Milwaukee. We're going to invest in the headquarters. We're going to invest in the neighborhood. But there's no details. So, I mean, it's, it's leaving everyone to wonder. And I mean, obviously, the company still has a huge presence in the area, um, as you and I have talked about. Manufacturing of Menominee Falls, R&D in Wauwatosa, obviously the anniversary event that they're actually now making an annual thing in Milwaukee, not just a five, every five-year thing, the Harley Museum. Um, so there's still a huge presence here, but the headquarters is a really big deal. I mean, we're talking about like a 900-employee office and obviously high-paying jobs. And if the company's idea now is, well... It's really not necessary for you to be, you can work remote, it's fine, and we don't really need this. We're going to repurpose the headquarters office, whatever that means. Um, That's potentially a lot of jobs or or people that are in the region that aren't going to be here anymore. Um, What's the impact of that going to be? It's it's hard to see it as positive. I mean, I'm sure for the employees that flexibility is appreciated, but from the standpoint of the region... um, Seems like a concern <laughs> that it, it's 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 not a gain. Uh, then you look at Fiserv. Um, boy, what a huge move! Huge news, at least for downtown Milwaukee, to gain. We're talking about a Fortune 500 company corporate headquarters coming into downtown Milwaukee um, at a time when the downtown office market is struggling because of, again, the post-COVID landscape. Um, but to, to to gain that. That that plum that win is is huge, and it also you know shows you it, it's another big thing for the west side of downtown, known as the West Town neighborhood. So many things happening over there. This isn't the first big office. Milwaukee Tool recently opened an office there. Um, you have the redevelopment of the Grand Avenue that you mentioned. That includes office space and companies like Grafe, an engineering firm, have moved in there. Um, not to mention the Deer District and Pfizer Forum, not to mention the Bradley Symphony Center. Uh, the convention center is being expanded. And I mean, I, I could go on. There's there's so much happening over there. That we're going to get a soccer stadium, apparently. Um, it's a very, very active part of downtown that, you know, a couple of decades ago was not the case. Um, you know, other than when, you know, you had events at the Bradley Center, um, it was sort of dead area. And, you know, was sort of the poor stepchild to the east side of downtown where all the Class A office space is. Um, that's really changed. The, the West Town has become red hot. It's quite frankly stunning. So, um, yeah, these are big stories, big, big stories that we're going to be following very closely 
for on an ongoing basis. You know, it's interesting. One of the other stories that that kind of runs through both these pieces of news is kind of the role that that the changing office, the changing world of work plays in it. Both companies, um, their decisions are being driven in part by the rise of hybrid and remote work um, in their businesses. And, and even though, you know, Fiserv is making a big investment and making a big shift to come downtown, you know, just yet the other day on their, their earnings call, their CEO was talking about how they have a hybrid workforce strategy and how, you know, having world-class facilities enhances that. But the first part of it was we have a hybrid workforce strategy and same thing with Harley, you know, they're the reason they're looking at repurposing or investing in or whatever it is they're actually going to end up doing in their headquarters um, is because of more flexibility in hybrid and remote work. Um, so this growing thing um, in these decisions by companies of where to put their, their workforce and put their investment. I mean, think you know, pre COVID, it was so much about, you know, when companies would come downtown, it's like, Oh, well, we can attract workers here. Um you know, maybe that's some element of, of what this is too, but it's definitely, there's an, an extra wrinkle in the equation now that there wasn't uh, three years ago. Yeah. And if you're going to, you know, if you're going to attract employees in an, in an, in an era when, yeah, remote work is an option, hybrid work is an option, when you have them or if you're going to get them not only just to attract them in general, but just to get them to come into the office, it's got to be an interesting environment. I mean, it sounds like there's going to be a lot invested in this Pfizer facility and with, with, with an interesting location being in downtown Milwaukee. So I think it is trying to address all the above issues in terms of attracting talent and getting talent into the office uh, to the extent that that works and is desired. And if you actually do come in the office, it needs to be worthwhile to you. It can't be a boring location and a cubicle farm. Uh, otherwise, there's no point to it. So it's got to be, you know, I know that they've, their statements, they talked about this office space downtown being a place that will be collaborative and where they can innovate and work together. So, I mean, just the design of office space now is, is going is changing with all those things in mind as to what what the what the the new era office looks like and how it's used. Mm-hmm. I think it it's something that you know we'll have to the the city, the region, the state to some extent as well. I'm going to have to be more and more cognizant of of you know. I mean, yes, you want to certainly want to attract the physical investment into buildings and um, infrastructure and all those things. And you want, you'd, you'd rather have Fiserv making this investment than not. And I, I assume you'd want Harley to make an investment than not. Um, but the, that looming piece of the hybrid and remote work um, means that as a city and as a region, we have to make it. So those people who have that flexibility are going to choose to be, here in the region versus somewhere else, you know, and, and maybe they come to town for a week at a time, um, which has a lot of different impact on our economy than someone who lives here full time and is 
you know, making all the purchases and spending and contributions to our communities that you do when you live here full time versus someone that's in town, you know, once a quarter for Mm-hmm. A you know a retreat of some sort or thing like that. Yeah, uh, I mean, no longer can we just rely on attracting businesses and then that attracts people. Um, it's we've talked a lot about how we're in the middle of a war for talent and attracting talent is is paramount. But now it's it's even more you know it's even more important issue where. Talent doesn't even have to be where the jobs are. Talent will be and and people will be where it's an appealing lifestyle. And Wisconsin doesn't have necessarily the most appealing weather, although half the year it's good to great. But the other half of the year, it's rough, seasonal, whatever you (laughs) want to call the winter here. And and some some, some some people like the Four Seasons experience. And some don't, um, but you can't, obviously we cannot rely on weather alone for sure. Um, if anything, it's a, it's a, it's a challenge, but you have to look at the quality of life you're offering to people in terms of family friendly atmosphere, in terms of the schools and the transportation system and um, the entertainment options and parks and, and, and everything that makes a place desirable to live having that being as good as it can be is vital if we're going to have a strong economy, because if there are more, if we're, if other places offer more, that's where people are going to live. Even if they're working for local companies, even if they're working at Harley Davidson, uh, they might not live here anymore. They may find somewhere else to live that's more desirable. So we have to make Wisconsin as desirable of a place to live as we possibly can. Certainly. And we'll be covering the things that help make the state a desirable place to live and writing about those things. And you can check out coverage of that at biztimes.com. I think that will do it for this week on the weekly debrief and we'll leave it there. Andrew, thanks for joining me as always. Talk to you later. This is Dan Meyer with BizTimes Media. You've been listening to the BizTimes MKE podcast. For more business news and insights, be sure to go to biztimes.com and subscribe to any of our daily e-newsletters and our magazine, BizTimes Milwaukee.